0: literally just to get the blood going and to clear the mind why i run
1: why i run well
0: how long have you got <laughs> um, if not why not you know what i mean the, the why i, I run podcast. podcast
1: the rhythm of your breathing i can't
0: explain it in words sometimes the rhythm of your heartbeat we are born to move we are born to run and the rhythm of your steps running's a feeling right it makes you feel good the why i run podcast from red bull with me Io akinwalary
1: and me aaron azar Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Welfare. I'm Amy Lane, and each week we break down the barriers to running so you can get more from your time in your trainers. I'm currently taking an extended break to learn how to juggle a toddler and a newborn, but that doesn't mean you have to rest up too. So I thought it would be handy to revisit some of our most loved and most listened to episodes from the past seasons. The advice and expertise is as useful today as it was back then. So prepare yourself for the cracking tips from the experts around the globe. Together, we'll help you reach your running goals this year. Today's episode is a rerun from season one. And it's a fabulous mix of expert advice and inspiring run chats, plus a 16-week guide tailored to support your marathon journey. So if you've started 2022 with that goal in mind, or if you are just keen to run for fun, then we are here to help you through. Keep up the good work. And when you start flagging, why not get involved in the Welfare Strava Club or support each other from afar on Instagram using the hashtag Welfare. I hope you enjoy this episode and I really hope it helps you to keep going well far this year. Welcome to Well Far, the weekly running podcast that will be by your side as you train for 26.2. It's hosted by me, Amy Hopkinson. By day, I'm Women's Health Digital Editor, but when not in the office, I'm a marathon runner too. So this year, with the race on the horizon, I'm here to help with blisters and breezes, runners' highs and lows, what to eat before Sunday run day, and how the heck you refuel after. So put on your trainers, plug yourself in, let's get going. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Wellfar. Wow, what a bananas week I've had. Aside from all my normal running, I also hosted a couple of extra special women's health run clubs, which meant that I travelled up to Manchester and we had one in London and the team have gone off to Glasgow. So they were super fun, but extra miles in my week. I also found a love of Easter themed baking. Um, I've been making full use of those special offers on Easter chocolate and putting all of that kind of lovely bunny-shaped and egg-shaped goodness into cookies and having them when I come in off my long runs. I've also been starting to plan my trip to Paris for the Paris Marathon, which included getting a medical to say I'm fit to run. It's a requirement by French law. So um, that was just another thing I needed to do. So there's not been much time, but it's also been a really great week. One highlight for me was joining the Twice the Health Marathon Run Club last weekend for 18 very windy miles. It was really, really nice to have some company for the three hours of running and also chat to other women about how they're faring with training for 26.2. As much as I am loving this year's journey, I'm finding it quite tough and also slightly lonely at times I suppose when I get up on a weekend and I and I just go running for hours and hours on end. I mean I have had Ted join me for the kind of final miles on a lot of those runs but it still does mean that I am out running for kind of two hours 45 by myself. So to run with other women was really really nice and also we chatted about what we're finding tough, what we were enjoying and the things that we kind of really needed to conquer. And one of the things that kept coming up was that moment when you're running kind of 15 miles plus and your mind starts to question whether your body can actually do it. And during a panel talk at the end of a run, one of the coaches that was there called Luke Tybursky, who is a health and mindset coach with a specialism in endurance sports, actually shared this tip for dealing with that kind of lack of confidence that you get during a long run. He basically said, what can help is if you flip your focus when you're running. So if you are focusing on how everything hurts and how your legs feel like lead and how you're struggling to even keep moving forward. His advice was to start thinking about the things which are going on around you, not inside of you. So find some pretty flowers or look into the distance and see what you can see or focus on the smiles of happy people walking past and just kind of stop thinking about how tough everything is and start thinking about how nice everything is around you. He also said this can work the other way around too. So if you're running in howling rain or really windy, blustery conditions and you're taking a bit of a a beating, he said, rather than focus on what's going on around you, start focusing on what's going on inside of you. So think about how good you feel and how ace a job your body is doing. I've yet to put this tip into practice, but I am going to try it on this week's long run. If you guys do the same, let me know. I'd love to know whether this works for you. And if you want to look up Luke so that you can find out more about this and other work that he does, he's on Instagram as Luke Tyberski. So that's L-U-K-E-T-Y-B-U-R-S-K-I. You can also join the Twice the Health Run Club by looking up the girls. They're at Twice the Health and booking on via Eventbrite. So, That's what I've been doing to make the long runs a bit easier. But what about you guys? What have you been doing? Do slide into my DMs, because I'd love to hear more about your journeys. And actually, one of the things which you kept asking me about was injury and how to deal with it. So, for everyone who has sent me one of those type of Instagrams, you are gonna love today's episode. In the studio, I have a guy called Bradley Skaines, who's a physiotherapist and run coach. Today we're going to talk about prehab and rehab and running injuries, so keep listening for that. I then go on a run with Susie Chan, who was actually a run chat suggested guest by you guys. So this show is actually quite a lot about you guys this week and what you wanted to hear. I go on a run with Susie Chan and we conquer a few very muddy miles and we talk about how she went from being a single mum lacking in confidence to an ultra marathon runner. It's a goodie. But before I do that, a quick shout out to our welfare listener of the week, Hattie Sherwood, that is you. Not only did you hit your longest mileage yet, but I loved your Instagram about your sister and her boyfriend selling cakes to help raise money for your Save the Children Marathon Fund whilst you did it. I love, love, love the family teamwork and it made me think of my own family. So well done, Hattie. Well done to your sister and her boyfriend. Keep up the good work. Right then, guys, let's get on with this week's show, and I will see you all on the other side. Today in the studio is Brad Skaines. Brad is a specialist musculoskeletal physiotherapist with great hair. Not that relevant to your running, but something you can't see from this podcast – Brad works privately in London and Chelmsford for the British gymnastics teams and helps clients suffering from running injuries. He's passionate about applying sound and robust rehabilitation principles to pain and injury to help you guys and others stay fit and healthy. Welcome, Brad.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: So in your practice, what is the most common running injury that you see?
0: Probably has to be knee pain. There are sort of various different knee Sort of pains that you can you can get, but the most common we see is something we call or we term patellofemoral syndrome or patellofemoral pain. Um, sounds pretty horrendous, syndrome yeah. and, uh, and and stuff there. But did
1: you say that because I just screwed my face
0: up? <laughs> yes, that, that, that was it. I thought, oh no, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the wrong term. Patellofemoral pain. It's a bit of an umbrella term, um, and and basically all it means. So, so the patellofemoral joint is the joint between the kneecap and and the femur and and the way that kneecap sort of glides over over the knee and there's a lot of structures which sit behind the kneecap which can can get uh inflamed can get sore can get irritated and it's often the pain that uh you finish up running or halfway through your run it's sort of all around the around the knee Mm -hmm. you can't really pinpoint where it is it feels a bit behind the kneecap a bit deep and that's probably the most common thing that that we see in runners
1: And is there a way to prevent it?
0: There is. As with a lot of running injuries, it's it's an overuse injury. It's a repetitive sort of injury. And when we look at the incidence of running injuries, there's some research that shows us about 80% of running injuries are due to training error. So... Quite often these injuries occur because people do too much too soon. So they go from 5k to 8k to 10k and most runners would have heard that sort of 10% increase week on week that we we should be doing to to sort of hit that that sweet spot as it were. So if we allow the body to adapt and we gradually increase our our sort of weekly load, we can go a long way to, to preventing injuries like that. The second way that you could could prevent it is is uh, a term us physios like at the moment is, is all about capacity. And when we're running, the ground force reaction on the knee is somewhere in the region of four to seven times body weight going through your knees so strength and condition is 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 kind of what we need to do from from there if we're strong particularly through the quadricep muscles um but also glutes and, and hamstrings and calves if we're strong through there we'll shock absorb for for that joint and and be able to sort of protect ourselves through um uh through any injury there
1: i don't think i've really thought about it that much before but obviously when you were running you were propelling your weight from one leg to the other
0: and yeah. then absorbing the force. Yeah, absolutely. Every landing that you have is is straight away. Even walking up and down the stairs is two times your body weight going through your through your knee because you're on one leg and you you're driving your sort of your weight of your body up. So you think of the landing force from from sort of mid air to the ground. It's a fair bit of weight going through the knees that the body needs to be sort of ready for, uh, and that comes from from strengthening but then also allowing the body to adapt through a sort of slow progression of our running distance.
1: So that 10% rule really is a thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it really is. Um, and, and I think the important thing for runners is that that's your weekly load. So it's not, OK, I run four times a week. I'm going to increase every run by 10% because then mm-hmm. you're going to get into into some difficulty. Um, so it's it's working out what your load is on a week, whether you do it by time or, or distance and increasing that by by 10%. Okay. There was a, a little bit of new research which showed we could probably push it a little bit more. So I, I think I think the sweet spot's probably around about fifteen percent in the lower distances. So when you're going from sort of like five k to ten k, you can probably go to about twenty thirty. But once you're in the the bigger distances, stick to your ten percent, and you should be uh, should be okay.
1: Obviously, a lot of my training, and I think a lot of the people that have been listening in, um, has been done on roads. And I've read before that's quite impactful on your joints. Is there a way to limit that?
0: Again, similar similar to what we just said. So the stronger you are in your muscles, then the more shock absorbance you're going to have for, for the joint to, to sort of counter that ground reaction force from, from the floor. So, so strength is is the key. Uh, other things you, you you can do obviously making sure you've got sort of the right footwear and do
1: you see a lot of people coming in in the wrong footwear
0: I, I suppose I see a lot of people who maybe need to update their their footwear so they they've been running these trainers for a couple of years and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're a little bit worn um so uh, I mean it's it, it's difficult there's lots of different bits of research on it but generally trainers last between sort of 300 to 500 miles so I think just just making sure they're they're in good working order uh, and they're comfortable and I think that's one of the, the most important things for people is being comfortable in uh, in what they're wearing
1: I asked our amazing listeners what niggles they had mm. um so I could put questions to you and one of the things that came up time and time again was shin splints
0: mm, mm.
1: do you see a lot of this
0: yes yeah I've had it myself as well it's really painful
1: what what are shin splints
0: so shin splints by definition is uh, it's an exertional pain in in the lower leg so on the, on the inside border of, of the tibia of, of the shin bone the sort of the, the medical term we use now is medial tibial stress syndrome or MtSS for for short uh, and it's a bit of an umbrella term and actually uh, I read an article the other day which says actually it could relate to 30 different pathologies which is which is amazing, but um, we need to consider it on, on a, a sort of spectrum, and I think the important thing, for, particularly for listeners, if they, if they are getting a bit of pain around that area, is it's considered on the spectrum of a bone stress injury. So at one end of the continuum, you've got stress fracture. On the other end of the continuum, you've got maybe a bit of a, a muscle dysfunction. So it could be tibialis anterior, tibialis posterior, soleus, which uh, is just causing a bit of pain. It could move into like a, a tendonopathy, So you've got a few tendons around there as well. It could be uh, some inflammation of like the lining of the bone. So the periostomy, which uh, sits around the, around the bone. Um, it could be all these things together.
1: And how do you treat shin splints as a physio?
0: Yeah, it's. I think the first thing we need to do is work out why it's come on. Going back to sort of the the training error that that will relate to sort of reviewing what a person's been doing in in the lead up to the pain coming on. So I normally take a snapshot of the of the four weeks before right. because a dramatic increase in load could last for about four to six weeks. That's that's what the science tells us. If we increase by more than or thirty percent or more our risk of injury is dramatically increased by about four times. So progressing that quickly can cause obviously the knee pain or or something like shin splints. I'm a runner myself, so I never like to stop people from running. (laughs) But sometimes with shin splints, we need to just because of the continuum it sits on. So because there's potentially risk of stress fracture, we need to be a bit bit careful a bit sensible with it but the best thing is to work out when the pain comes on so if it's not painful on walking and if we can do a little bit of running to say we can run for 5k or run for 5k if the pain comes on at 6k we'll be okay so we can we can keep you running we can cross train the rest whilst we let it let it settle down and we can do our normal stuff in in that period so we can ice elevate rest where a lot of runners go wrong is it settles back down and they go back to running and, and they miss that kind of bridging the gap between getting pain free and then being able to return to what they would hope to be doing there. And again, that, that sort of involves some strengthening work uh, and a slow and gradual build up of sort of increasing the load tolerance. So I get my patients doing a lot of lot of hopping, a lot of multidirectional hopping to increase the tolerance of the bone and the tissue to be able to then go back to back to running after that.
1: Okay. I'm just now thinking, like, it's totally OK to come in off a run, ice your shins and watch Netflix. That's what, I, that's what I've just interpreted from that.
0: Yeah, that's like... a pretty good idea. <laughs> as, as long as once the pain settles, you're doing a bit of work to, yeah. to, to strengthen the calf and, and, and so on and so forth. <laughs>
1: is um, calf strength really important to running?
0: It is, yeah. The calf is probably the most important muscle for runners. We've got a lot of research that shows if, if your calf strength improves, your your times improve.
1: Right. The other the other common pain that people are suffering from, it seems, is plantar fasciitis.
0: Mm, mm. So the plantar fascia is uh, a thick sort of band of tissue on the bottom of your foot. Again, quite common in in runners. Plantar fasciitis is actually a bit of a, a an outdated term. Um, so we actually call it uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, but we call it plantar fasciopathy now. Oh, <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm glad you said that and (laughs) not me.
0: (laughs) Opathy basically means it's a bit degenerative, which again sounds horrendous, but it it just means the tissue's broken down a little bit. Uh, So it's a bit like a tendon um, in in that respect in that it's involved in transferring load and it has a certain capacity. And if we keep pushing beyond that capacity without the adequate recovery, the tissue then breaks down and it becomes sore. It's important to differentiate because... Rest will take away the pain, but then someone will come back to running, and the pain will come back. Because if the tissue's broken down, rest won't build the tissue back up. So that's where some strength work and some rehabilitation comes in to to make it strong again, and then to build its capacity to go back to back to running. The sort of rehab for that it's a bit of a variation on a calf race. It's uh, a slight slight difference where um we get a towel under the big toe and you basically calf raise on uh on that just uh gets the plantar fascia working a little bit more
1: okay and so <laughs> should you stop should you stop running if you're feeling that pain
0: again it's, it's finding the boundaries that you can and can't do so if you got if you've got pain on walking then yeah absolutely yeah, yeah you're, you're not going to be running if you can run a certain distance without pain then we can work within that because it all becomes part of the rehab itself there.
1: I'm really guilty of putting off going to see experts. Mm. I do do it with my doctor. I do it with my dentist. And so I put things off until it gets really bad. And then I'm like, now I need to invest in this. (laughs) (laughs) But with physio, is it better to come in the beginning when you notice some kind of pain? Does that help or...?
0: It, it does. Early intervention does get people better quicker.
1: I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, w- when you've been in pain for a while, you get a lot of changes. So just from being in pain, you lose muscle mass. So you, your strength is reducing just just from being in, in pain itself. And then you'll move different ways. So you'll get a few compensations sort of elsewhere.
1: So don't delay. <laughs> I've got one more topic of pain which um, has come up. And people complaining of shoulder pain when running.
0: Mm-hmm it's quite common it's often that we just hold ourselves quite tight and tense um whilst whilst we're running so it it probably falls a little bit more into the spectrum of of like coaching and sort of thinking about that upper limb technique relaxing the shoulders breathing can be really helpful um uh, sort of then so if we're if we're moderating our breathing we can often relax through the the sort of thoracic and 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 the shoulders there if it becomes quite persistent I'd, i'd maybe have someone look at look at the runner's gait and and the technique that they're using to try and relax up up around the shoulders if it spills over into other activities other than running then maybe there's something going on in the shoulder and and then probably see a see a physio about that but if it's a a pure sort of running you're feeling just just tight and tense uh, uh, around there then it's probably related to sort of running technique and, uh, and and stuff there
1: I know we've recently mentioned calves, but um, that's another thing which um, people have asked me. They've said, tight calves, what can I do about them and how can I deal with them?
0: Yeah, again, common in runners, uh, the calves are doing a lot of work, as as, mm-hmm. as we mentioned. They're, they're involved in, in the landing phase. They're involved in the propulsion phase. The question we have to ask is why are they tight? Because it, it, tightness is normally the product of something, um, whether that's a positional thing or often with runners, it's, it's, it's a weakness thing. So we're saying that they probably haven't got the strength and capacity to do what we're asking them to do. Right. A nice little test for that is calf raises. So we've got some normative data, uh, not runners, but just the general population. Fit, healthy female should be able to do 21 single leg calf raises off a step. Uh, the males are slightly more at 24. Um, so that's a good starting point. Um, and can
1: you do them just off a curb? A you step? can do them
0: just off a curb, just off your bottom step.
1: And then would you then do calf raises most days or is it like a few times a week?
0: Yeah, so you, you can kind of integrate it into your strength and conditioning program if, if you haven't got like an issue issue or pain mm. or, or you're rehabilitating. So the common thing is S and C should probably be done a couple of times a week. Mm. I'm guilty of, only doing lower limb probably once a week, so that that's coming from a physio.
1: <laughs> We're all judging you. <laughs> yeah,
0: damn. So just integrating it into that. The idea is to eventually go heavier because again, the, the, the calves might be somewhere in the region of three times, five times body weight through through the running phase. So eventually, you want to load it up and and get some weight going through it. But as a baseline sort of strength test, you can work on the on the body weight there.
1: So there we go, ladies. 21 calf raises. You've got got to try that this week. (laughs) Guys, you've got to do more. Uh, Sports massages. Mm. Do you think they're a luxury or a necessity for runners?
0: Depends on the runner. So there was was actually a nice paper that came out last year which compared a few recovery measures. And massage came out on top. Okay. Um, So it was the best form of recovery for DOMS and perceive fatigue if you find it helps you recover then it's a necessity if you're fine as you are you find you can you can bounce back and do your your next run okay then don't worry i always say performance is sort of fitness minus fatigue so you've got to recover um, and it's just fi- the down to that individual to sort of find what works best for them
1: i'm now intrigued what do you do to recover <laughs>
0: The most helpful thing that I found, uh, and, and is a real hot topic in the medical world, is is making sure I'm getting more sleep than, okay. than I used to. That's our our sort of biggest biggest recovery and I've always been guilty of being a very early riser and uh, going to bed a bit later than I I should and getting nutrition right as well uh, and making sure our energy stores are are up and and, and ready to go because we we definitely don't run marathons to lose weight so you've got to uh, (laughs) you've got to have that energy level ready to ready to go
1: and my last question for you Mm -hmm. Is being a physio with loads of experience in running injuries. What's your one piece of advice that you would give this year's
0: runners? Take it easy on the training. So eighty percent of running injuries are due to training error. Mm. Um, so getting the programming right is absolutely key. Keep in your mind that sort of ten to fifteen percent rule, particularly as you get into the back end of the end of the training. And kind of fitting into that is don't panic if you miss a run. Don't try and squeeze it in because you end up pushing yourself beyond the capacity that that you have.
1: That was so useful and so helpful. So thank you for sharing your knowledge with the Welfare community. If people want to get in touch with you, either about appointment or just to follow you, where is the best place?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm more and more active on Instagram these days at Physio Brad.
1: At Physio Brad. That's great. And do you have a website?
0: Physiobrad.co.uk.
1: I mean, that is so easy.
0: Yeah. Um, Guys,
1: you've just got to remember Physiobrad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That's
0: all right. Thank you for having me.
1: So today everyone i have come out to a very windy blustery guildford to run with the lovely susie chan who is an endurance runner and who you might recognize from the cover of runners world yes yes i've seen you on there also i i think you've broken a a record at some
2: point yes i um (laughs) well that was a while ago actually i broke a world record for running on a treadmill for 12 hours. And it kind of went a little bit viral. And then of course it was eminently beatable. And so I held it for a few months, but I got the all important certificate from Guinness. And so that is just one of the many running
1: highlights which you've come to be known for because you're an endurance runner.
2: And so you regularly run Distances of like a hundred miles. I mean, I've run, I've run a hundred miles actually, oh, about okay. four times. Right. Um, and I do sort of something called multi-stage races. So these are where you run day on day. You know, maybe for a week or so. But I think generally, I probably, you know, I probably don't run any more, or any less as we go for weekly mileage than than an average keen runner, I would say. Okay. But where did it all begin? Because. Obviously, your running journey started somewhere before you started running all of these ultras. It's not actually uh, that long ago. I think some people think I've been running for a very, very long time. I was actually in my mid-30s. I'm 43 now. So I was about 35, 36 when I started running. And I didn't want to start running, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) My, My younger brother wanted to run a marathon to tick it off a bucket list in his life and he made me do this half marathon with him and i I had no idea i'd never run you know i had no idea but i thought you know i was in a bit of a rut and so i thought yeah okay i need a challenge never run anything like that in my life (laughs) Um, and i I ran it and i was i mean i can remember i can remember it vividly because it was actually on trails and i'd never run on trails and it really hurt (laughs) it really hurt i was in pieces but i couldn't believe you know, when I crossed the finish line, I couldn't believe I'd, I'd run 13 miles. I mean, it's a hell of a long way. I just felt elated, basically, that I'd done it.
1: And so did you immediately sign up for another race? Yes, or did you? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so
2: I remember the next day, and I'd kind of... I can remember it really hurt to walk. I, I was struggling to step off kerbs because my legs were so ruined. But I just it made me feel good about myself and I sort of good inside. So I just thought, oh, well, I'll keep this going. And I think I signed up to 10k, which seemed a bit more manageable. And then it very, very, very quickly got the bug. And so is it now your, your full-time passion career? It is. So it's completely... I know it sounds really cheesy, like I'm being slightly dramatic, but genuinely, it has completely changed my life. I went from being a sort of very, you know, I had no confidence, um, single mom, you know, I was just, you know, quite a sort of, not a a great place. And, you know, in a sort of eight years I've been doing it, it, it's now what I do for a living. I've seen some fantastic places. I've met some unbelievable people and I've given up a 20 year career working in the museum and gallery sector where I used to work in the middle of London and now this is uh, this is what I do. You're saying it with such a big smile on your face. <laughs> yeah well it's quite I mean I my job I did enjoy my job actually I'm not gonna pretend I didn't because it was a lovely sort of sector to work in. But if there's something quite I don't know I don't have to get up and get on a commuter train anymore or, and you know and it's never lost on me how what an opportunity it is. And I'm just trying to embrace it and make the most of it because it's probably not going to last forever, let's be honest. And you mentioned you've got a child. I have, yes. Have you got a boy or a girl? Just a girl. So she is not really a child anymore. She's 17 now. Oh, okay. Hey, um, I can credit her for my life sort of taking this turn because I felt a bit guilty about, um, you know, because running is, in some ways, it's quite a selfish sport. You know, you're doing it for yourself, you're out by yourself, you know. And it took me away from her. And uh, to kind of justify... I guess, to myself and hope one day that she'd understand what I was doing, I started writing a blog. So I thought when she's older, you know, she'll, she'll, she'll realise why I decided to go run through a desert for 10 days or whatever. And I started writing this blog just to kind of, in hope one day she'll read it and understand. And what has been, you've
1: just mentioned, running through the desert. Mm. Is that um,
2: marathon... De Saab. That's the one, yeah, yes. that's the one. You have to run at 250 kilometers, approximately, approximately 150, 155 miles um, across six days in the Sahara, and normally it follows roughly the same format with sort of three days of about 20 milers, um, and then an ultra marathon on the fourth day, which can be anything from 45 miles to 57 miles I think I've run, and then a marathon, and then a fun run at the end. Um, and then the, the really hard bit is it's self-sufficient, so that means that you have to carry everything you need to survive for that week running in the desert on your back. Even water? So or- the only thing they supply is water, right. which is rationed, okay. so you have a certain quota of water and you're not really allowed to go over it. If you do, you get penalised <laughs> or disqualified, you <laughs> have too many. Um, and then they sort of put a blanket on sticks in the desert if you'd sleep under. But other than that, all of your sleeping gear, your food for the entire week, which weighs a lot, and all of your um, safety kits... You have to carry with you. But I I maintain this. I I genuinely maintain this. I've done it four times now. And I've seen people from all walks of life life, complete this race. Um, If anybody wants to do it, they can do it. It's just just more of an attitude, really. Obviously, it is brutal, the miles. But is it tougher on your body or your mind? Do you know what? The toughest thing body-wise, I mean, I'm not going to pretend it doesn't hurt your feet because even if you Google Moussaint De Sabe, you're likely to get lots of pictures of blistered feet because the sand is quite a tough environment to to run on. Yeah. Other than that, really, the number one thing which I always struggle with, and most people do, is the fact that you are starving to death gently across the week because you're you're having a a lot fewer calories than you are spending because you're having to carry your food. So it gets really tough by day three. You're just sort of fantasizing about roast potatoes and things. And (laughs) then does everyone get hangry? Uh, It's a collective hangry in the camp, but you're all in it together. The dropout rate of that race is very, very low. I mean, very, extraordinarily low. Um, and people walk it. There's people from all walks of life, all different sort of levels of uh, running or walking ability finish that race. And the one thing they have in common, they, you know, they want to finish it. And I think that's, that's all you need to, to finish that race Or in fact, run like a lot of races. Yeah. And
1: have you stayed in touch with anyone from it? Have you like yeah. formed a bit of
2: a community? Oh, yeah. So, this is sort of the, the thing which you remember when you come back from that race is that you, you've been trudging through the desert for, for hours, but you, you get sort of put together into a tent of about six or eight of you. And I've remained lifelong friends with these people each time I've done it. Um, I've been talked into all sorts of stupid races by some <laughs> of my fellow tent mates. Yeah, I mean, in particular, last year was. Was, was, was really great because I did it with some of my best friends, my um, husband, and, and it was just a wonderful week.
1: Do you think that that community aspect of running is kind of partly what's kept you going?
2: Oh, God, it's completely what's kept me going. Uh, I mean, I think, when I think back to my favourite races, you know, sure, I've, I've had some PBs which I'm not too embarrassed about. I mean, <laughs> those days are pretty much long gone, but the bits I remember are... Um, the races I've had with my friends and the people I've met, you know, that's what, when I think about the running I've done, it, those are the memories which, which stay with me. You know, the fond memories, the ones that make me smile and the best races have been, been with my, my mates, you know.
1: Oh, it's so nice because we were chatting, wasn't we, just before we came on here when you picked me up from the station and you were saying that your most memorable races are the ones when it's actually
2: been about the actual run or not about a time. Oh yeah, I mean I, just, I think I think anybody who runs is listening to this, you know, I think they'll know what I mean. You know, those ones where you're constantly looking at your pace and sure, I mean I'm not, I'm not denying there's nothing, there's a really great feeling when you get a good time or even a PB. But you don't remember much about the race. You're no. too busy kind of focusing on the task in hand. But I've had some very memorable races where I've been with my friends chatting, taking it all in, you know, and just uh enjoying the route.
1: The other year you had a bit of a, a bit of a setback, didn't you? And I hope you don't mind me asking. No. At the end of one of your races, you, you passed out
2: at the finish line. Yes, that was Chicago Marathon. Uh, when was it? Not last year, the very end of last, of the year before that. Um, and I'd been feeling a bit weird, to be honest with you. <laughs> I had a terrible cough. And it was, uh, it was very important to me to finish Chicago Marathon because it was the very last of the World Marathon majors. And that's the six big global marathons And if you finish all six, not many people have done it, you see, not many ladies especially. And I was like, right, well, I don't feel well, but I'm running this, which is probably not great. Anyway, I finished the race and I didn't feel great. And then I I passed out actually, and they'd never, I mean, my husband was there, and my friend Sophie, and they'd never seen me do that. You know, I've run, as I say, some 100 mile races and been okay, but I felt terrible. I went home and had some investigation work and said I had a cancer in my neck, quite a sizeable lump which knocked me out of a couple of races and <laughs> for the next been, few months. <laughs> and you've been training and you just didn't realize. Yes, I mean, I'd actually felt terrible uh, running along and found it very hard to run fast, to draw my breath, you know, so there were all these sort of things, I was constantly tired, There was thyroid cancer actually, so there were lots of, lots of sort of uh, side effects happening, but all quite easy to explain away if you, you know, if you're a runner, you know, being slightly tired all the time. And, and I just thought I just was losing, I just wasn't a fit anymore, you know?
1: And how is it, because um, obviously you've come, you've come out the other side and yeah, um, you're fit and healthy today, but has it kind of changed how you
2: treat or view your body? Yes, oh completely. It did actually uh, knock me a bit um, and I sort of reacted in a way which probably wasn't very sensible. I just sort of like, oh I'm fine and carried on running and I did the marathon de Sable again six weeks after my second operation um, and then did a hundred miler four weeks after that. You know, just pretended everything was absolutely fine. Yeah. And I think in a way to kind of prove to myself that I was actually okay and I was still capable of doing these things. But then I got to I think about September, October and I just felt knackered, you know, and I just thought <laughs> probably need to have a bit of a rest and sort of look right. after myself and, and so I dialed things back a bit and you know I've had a few sort of problems afterwards which the you know the doctors are still monitoring. Um, I've been sort of messing around with medication. I'm still sort of, I think I'm out of the other side now. Um, and it's, it's good, it's good. I'm in a really good place. I feel rested and sort of ready to, ready to go again. So good to
1: hear. So, on the subject of keep moving forward and, really? and challenges, what is, what's on the horizon for you
2: this year? Well, I had, I had booked quite a lot in because I get a bit I get a bit trigger happy, I get a bit starry-eyed around races, but I've had a bit of an injury, which, which is just taking forever to heal. I can run, but it's, I have to be very careful about running longer and longer. And so I have in fact canceled um, a couple of races, which is a shame. And so I filled that void with the challenge of trying to go back a little bit to my roots, back to those 10Ks and those half marathons, Ooh. and maybe a little bit of track. Are you having to do physio work for yes, your every day, every day? And I've been so good at it. I basically I did a 24-hour track race in September last year, at the end of September. Where oh my god! And it made my foot hurt. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had to go to a foot doctor, you know, because I was like, this isn't really getting any better. He was like, so tell me how uh, how this happened. And it was like, ah, oh, well, here's the thing. <laughs> yes, you can barely hide his contempt for what it does with it. Uh, but you know, so I'm, I'm on this sort of strict rehab rule you know i'm not gonna lie it's probably the dullest 20 minutes of my day but they really have been working when i started running i think i did those typical things of getting a niggle ignoring it running through it making it worse being off for four weeks you know know, thinking i could start running again start running too early i've done all of those mistakes and i've learned a bit of patience when it comes to comes to injuries and i think it's you know do you think you're the fittest you've ever been? No, I no. am probably the fittest I've ever been. I think was probably about 2015. I had some good results, um, and actually it was when I was cross, I was I did an Ironman actually, which, um, yeah. so I was doing quite a bit of cross training for that, and I was so fit. And I completely didn't realise how fit I was um, until I <laughs> started losing it, and I was running and banging out PBs all over the place. And now I'm not. I'm definitely not. I would say probably pretty similar full circle to where I started (laughs) Um, because I spent last year uh, not in a great place physically so has that meant though that you've got mentally stronger do you think oh yeah definitely oh 100% yeah I mean I'm mentally in a better place I'm mentally stronger I can you know normally being injured or whatever would have probably annoyed me actually what would have annoyed me more is I used to sort of be quite competitive with myself and, you know, running along, it all had to be at a certain pace and a certain time and I'd get really sort of grumpy if I didn't hit those times. And actually, you know, I've got over that, you know. uh, Nobody cares what time I'm running other than me. So that's definitely helped kind of letting go, you know, of worrying about what my, you know, 10K time is. What would
1: you say has been like your biggest running highlights? Obviously, Marathon I believe you have done that multiple times. Yeah. If someone said to you, out of everything you've
2: done, what is your top 10 or top five, actually? Well, uh, it's, it's very different, actually. So in terms of races, I mean, it's, it's very close to my heart, marathon. But for one reason or another, you know, it's uh, where it's, it's all started for me. But I'd say Boston Marathon, if you're going to talk about the pure marathon experience, you know, oldest marathon in the world, I trained really hard to get there. And standing on that start line, it was just... I'll never forget it. It was, it was up there. You know, it's probably one of the, the best road races I've ever done. Just in terms of the experience, it was. In fact, I felt very felt like a real privilege to be there. And then there's sort of fun races. There's one which I seem to keep going back to called Manzi Horse, and that's in oh. Brecon Beacons in Wales. A lot of up and down. You literally you literally um, race horses. Don't you, you do race against yeah. horses, and it's huge fun. And there's all. All life is there. You know, you've got the proper elite fell runners. You've got people dressed as horses, you know. <laughs> it's a huge fun. I mean, I keep... I, I love I love deserts. I do love some sort of hot places and running in hot places, though. And do you have music in when you run there, or do you... Yeah. You do. I run by myself, yes. I do, yeah. actually. I run with music all the time. In races, I don't. Right. In ultra marathons, I think I might have dug the music out once or twice when things have got quite desperate. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I do, actually. I do. I like running with music or the radio or, you know, something audible to pass the time a little bit. I've um, been doing a lot of kind of books during my work. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yes. Yes. Podcasts, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just anything to... So you focus... If I'm doing sort of a long training run, if I'm doing it by myself, and it just passes the time, doesn't it, a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, you don't do a thing, you end up sort of looking at your watch and suddenly moved by 0.3 of a mile. <laughs> Yeah, and you're starting to get tired. Yeah, but what do you do on a race when that happens? It, like, you'll just find yourself counting down the mileage if you've got any no. ways which you snap out of it. Yeah, I'm quite, I, I try my hardest. I've, I've developed a few sort of techniques. So, I do a lot of focusing on the finish line and imagining that. I do a l- hell of a lot of, when I was that 24 hour track race, for example, as soon as the klaxon went off, it was like, you know, well. I'm not going to be doing this tomorrow, and this time tomorrow I'll be doing something else, you know, so putting myself after the event, and having finished it, you know, mentally, and that helps distract me. I'm not saying it works all the time, and obviously I've had some, (laughs) I've had some sort of low points in races, we all do, you know. Yeah. And I think it always, for me, happens about two thirds of the way through, whether that's 10K, you know, half marathon, or 100 miler, it's always quite a tough, tough patch, but um, one thing I have learned, if you just keep, moving forward, focusing on the finish. You know, it, it, it does arrive. You get, you get there.
1: Do you, say, do you think your yoga kind of helps with that mentality? Because it sounds very yogic to
2: me. It does. So, uh, um, do you know what the yoga has helped me with? Um, is um, my breathing, actually. Because they, they do some techniques in yoga where it slows your heart rate, actually. When you sort of breathe, have a long exhale um, out of your mouth or whatever, and breathe through your nose. And uh, I'm not really heavily into yoga. I just like it because it It's my stretching, basically, in one-hour session. But I did, um, when I'm trying to... When I'm sort of struggling a little bit to get the breath in, I do try and do those little techniques, and it does actually help. It does actually make me feel a little bit calmer, you know, a tiny bit calmer. I suppose it's bringing the focus back inwards again,
1: isn't it? As opposed to... Freaking out about yeah, yeah what's yeah. going on around? You. Yeah, <laughs> on those kind of races, are you normally kind of obviously there's not that many females that
2: do them. Are you normally outnumbered by a load of guys? What in, in sort of ultra marathons? Yeah. Uh, do you know what? Um, it's, it's definitely changed in the few short years I've been doing it. Right. There were not many ladies that did that sort of those sorts of races, you know, and now definitely much more of a presence of females, and it's fantastic. And I tell you what, it's also really interesting is that um, women now, over these very long distance races, the gap is, is very narrowed and it's not unusual for women to take the podium overall over men when you start looking at these longer distances. So There's a lady called Courtney DeWalter, she's got the 100 mile trail, fastest known time um, overall and it's really interesting and then women of a certain age, my age <laughs> are statistically more likely to finish ultramarathons so it's interesting, I think somebody somewhere should be researching this i'm not sure they probably are yeah um, and so it's really encouraging and i think and yeah. more really strong female runners out there doing it sort of representing um, it's encouraging more women to have a go i think a lot of people like ultra marathons because well i like them because they are much less focused on time unless you're one of the pointy end elites you know there's loads of really strong amazing women out there doing that but uh sort of me, you know, I sit a more on a mediocre middle patch. And it's much more about the experience, and the achievement, you know, what you're doing and the people you're with. And you'll help each other out. Oh, of the- yeah. You're all in it together. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're out there for a long time. Yeah, you can sort of, you, know, you get kind of strung out as well in these races. So you can sort of latch on to another runner. And I've met people I've never met again in the middle of races. And, you know, you have a little chat, you find out about people and... You know, you've passed five miles before you know it. It's quite special. Would you say to
1: everyone listening in who's about to go into their first marathon, we've got a lot yeah. of people doing London, some yes. doing Manchester. Oh, yes. Would you say if they're struggling just to talk to somebody,
2: or what would be your kind of marathon? Oh, yeah, tip? that is. It's incredibly exciting, but my key thing would be have your plan. Right. But don't worry about anybody else. Everybody else is going to go off very, very fast or slightly too fast and just sort of. Really take those first six miles nice and easy and do your own thing. Um, and if you are struggling, maybe feed off the crowd. The crowds are just ridiculous in these marathons, so big city marathons. I've latched onto runners before when, you know, somebody who seems to be keeping the pace or a pacer yeah. and just try and stick in a little pack and it can help, help carry you along a bit. <laughs> and what about running gels? Yeah. Are, you, are you a fan? So it took me a while to find the ones that work, put it that way. Right, right. Um, but I generally have managed to get my body used to running quite a long way on, on not a huge amount. So my gel plan for a marathon, I have gels which uh, require less water and not very sugary ones. And so I'll have one at normally miles 7, 14, 20, and then probably stick another one in before. Right before <laughs> the end. Yeah. just a little boost. Um, I mean, it depends how I'm feeling. So, I mean, I've often, I've used other, other things as well to help get me through and um, some marathons and half marathons, so I've used you know, like jelly beans and water. But it is actually really important to, to make sure, because you, you probably won't feel hungry, and you probably won't feel like you need it, but to make sure you try and get the energy in you, whatever form that is, before you think you need it. And do you have anything you do straight after a race? Oh yeah, I normally have a pint of beer yeah. and a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it normally involves uh, something like that, yeah, something oh. probably reasonably unhealthy to balance it all out. But I'm not really, I don't really do takeaways, but um, whenever I've done quite a long ultramarathon... marathon, that's uh, what we do. Crazy. We do phone a, uh, do phone a fast food pizza. Oh, do you? And you yeah. get it delivered? Yeah, that's my little treat.
1: Oh, <laughs> and that is such a great way to end this chat. I really, really hope you've enjoyed my
2: run with Susie. Where can people follow you, catch up with you, find out what you're doing? So I'm Susie Chan. That's S-U-S-I-E-C-H-A-N. Just have a little Google. You'll find me on social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I've got a web page. So just hit me up if you have any questions about any of that.
1: Amazing. Thanks, guys, for tuning. Wow. Wow.
2: OK, I was just about to say thanks, guys, for tuning in as this massive dog it's, appeared out of a car. It is generally the size of my bear. It is the size of a bear. I'm
1: going to leave you with that image and catch up with you all next week. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Welfare, your guide to conquering 26.2. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take 30 seconds to rate and review us on iTunes. It really does make all the difference and I and the team read absolutely everything you write, which means the world to us. New episodes will be released every Sunday on all the usual podcast platforms, so please do subscribe and never miss a notification. Until then, thanks again to all of you for listening and supporting us, and thanks to Mags Creative, the producers of this show.
2: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue.